0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am joined, as always, by Ruth. How are you doing, Ruth?
1: Good, good. Thank you. What about you? Yeah, not. You too... had your big trip to London.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Well, the less the less said about the result, the better. But uh, the day out was cracking. Um, got to got to London early. Got to meet up with some people I haven't seen for a while. Some Newcastle fans uh, who I do some writing and podcasting with, which was nice. And uh, had some breakfast and a you know a, and a nice pint of Guinness to set to settle any nerves. Uh, met up, met up then with an old friend of ours who we used to work with in Boston and uh, found a, a nice little corner for the game. It was quite hard to find a pub actually because everywhere was just packed with a new full of Newcastle fans. They reckoned that 135,000 Newcastle fans travelled down from Newcastle to London. That does not include Newcastle fans who were in London or other parts of the country or whatever. So it was just mad. Honestly, every time you turned a corner on a the street there was someone there with a black and white <coughs> shirt on. Um, anyway, so managed to manage to find a pub that was kind of busy enough but quiet enough to get in and uh, get to the bar and get a tap on the shoulder and turned around as a lad I, I coached football to many many moons ago. It was a Newcastle fan who's in the in the same pub, so uh, just couldn't really believe it to be honest. It was a nice surprise. So we had a chat to Paddy. I don't know, I don't think Paddy listens, but I Paddy. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've told the story years and years ago, I think, on this pod where um, I had a, co- a team who I coached to, never won a game uh, until their very last game. And uh, and Paddy was the captain of that team. Um, so uh, we told some stories and uh, exchanged some tales. His dad was there and uh, it was lovely. He's, he's, there was a, a mate of his who was, who was nicknamed uh, Geordie, which I thought was very clever, uh, who was there as well, who was the reason that Paddy was a Newcastle fan. He gave him a shirt when he was a young lad. Uh, and Geordie mm-hmm. was uh, was there at the game at, at the pub as well. Sorry, so I've heard about this bloke a lot, and there he was, sat next to us at the match with Paddy and his dad and everything else. It was just in the end, just to really had a cracking afternoon drinking and singing songs. And uh, yes, the result we'll uh, we'll talk about another day, but uh, it was a, it was a brilliant it was a brilliant afternoon and. Uh, as, as Newcastle fans will always say you know imag- imagine what would happen if we won and uh, the atmosphere <laughs> around London was amazing I don't know if people saw pictures of Trafalgar Square the night before it was just unbelievable and uh, a group of Newcastle fans stayed behind until four in the morning or something cleaning up the cans and putting rubbish away it was just it was amazing really so uh, even though Newcastle didn't win it was, uh, it was still quite a good weekend to be a Newcastle fan I think and hopefully, uh, hopefully this is the start of things to come but we shall We shall see. Um, Have you got any news? Because this is obviously not a football podcast. we've,
1: We've said we've said often, haven't we? You find you find your joy in your football from. A lot more than what's actually happening on the field. (laughs) Most of the time, what's happening on the field isn't so great. Your joy comes from elsewhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we we joked beforehand that you know, as a as a Newcastle and Wales fan, you've got to find your entertainment in other forms. Uh, It can't (laughs) it it can't all be about the football. But uh, yeah, I suppose the last few years, with the the exception for Wales, but still, yeah, it's uh, it's been great. So that's why we're looking forward to going to Croatia in a couple of weeks. And. that's why mm-hmm. we we do it for the good times, not uh, not for the football necessarily. Anyway, um, people are not here to listen to me uh, bang on about the uh, the fate of Newcastle United. People are here to talk about Welsh football. However, I will do a little bit of admin before we start. If you like listening to the Coleman Had a Dream podcast, please consider supporting us on Buy Me a Coffee. Dot com forward slash Coleman Stream where you can donate and give us a little bit of money to keep this podcast free uh, as best we can. Also, go to bagsybags.com. You can use the code CHAD10 to get 10% off and we also get a little cut of that as well, which again helps keep this podcast free. Go and get yourself one of the great bags, sweaters, hoodies, t-shirts uh, that is on the site at bagsybags.com and use the code CHAD10. To get yourself ten percent discount, uh, we're going to start Ruth by talking about uh, some new appointments uh, we've discussed in the last few podcasts about getting needing a replacement for Kit Simons and then Tony Strudwick as performance director, and those appointments have happened. So, before we go into into detail, first and foremost, what's your what's your thoughts on on Eric Ramsey um, and Nick Davis joining the staff?
1: Well, glad to see that we've made progress. I know we talked about it a little bit, and we were, I mean, we were a bit concerned weren't we like last podcast maybe the one before about the sort of speed of this yeah. um but I'm, I'm glad to see that there's been progress and actually in fairness pretty impressed with both um with both appointments I think um Ramsey's obviously someone who's sort of on the rise on the on people's radar you, you know you don't end up being a mentor on UEFA a licensed courses without having something about you um I think um he's had an interesting mix hasn't he of different clubs that he's been involved in and different age groups so no I'm I'm, impressed definitely
0: same here I, I think he's going to he's going to fit in well I think he's the sort of person we want in terms of the he's young he's, he's, young, he's enthusiastic he's, he's going to bring some good ideas I would imagine uh, to the table he's obviously first team coach at Manchester United and they're obviously going well take away the weekend's loss Liverpool aside they're, go, <laughs> they're going very well at the minute so yeah, I think I think it's a good appointment. I, I think he's also worked in a few other places which I think will be helpful. Like he's worked for the Swans in different roles, eighteens, twenty ones, um, for three and a half years. So he likely knows some of the players that he's got and the players he's likely to be working with in the future. He worked for Chelsea, so he's you know, he's got ex- more than more than a bit of experience at a big club. He's he's worked at two big clubs. Um, he can speak three languages, and upsettingly, Ruth, having said that he's worked for all those clubs and he has done all those things, and he can speak three <laughs> languages, he's thirty-one, um, which, which, which hardly seems. so I bet he's really good-looking as well. I'm sure he's a, <laughs> a, a, a bastard. Um, yeah, so I, I think. Uh, yeah, I...
1: It, it is quite. It is quite a CV, isn't it? And I like that. I like the range of ages that he's worked with. I like the fact that he'll have worked with sort of homegrown youth players all the way through to I think prima donna is not it's not a very kind word but you know those international players that um, need a little pampering and and everyone in between so I think I think he's he's accrued clearly a lot of experience over what must be you know eight or nine years of, of different work uh, different work environments <laughs>
0: I suppose to to look at the flip side of every coin. I I wonder if if the, the, there's a negative side which could be his his age, having just joked about it there. In the sense that I, you know, we've talked before about Paige perhaps needing some experience in the international scene, um, and in terms of setting a side up against different oppositions and implementing a new system and all of these different things. And I, that would be my only kind of question mark. I said negative. I didn't mean to be negative. My only question mark rather than negativity would be. You know, has he got the right sort of experience that we need to be, you know, changing our style of play and setting up uh, to our team to, to go and compete on on the international stage?
1: Uh, I I mean, I, to try and counter argue, and I don't know this. This is just surmising, but I think you see the progress that United have made when they've put some focus on team aspects and coaching and being cohesive and planning. You know, there's, he's clearly had an, a, a level of involvement in that, which hopefully should transfer to what we're looking for. I can see your point. I think there's a kind of nounce to international football that's a little bit different than club football. And I do wonder whether there's a gap in our coaches of that kind of the streetwise wise aspects that you need for international football are a touch different from club football but I think if you go in knowing that and you're aware of that then you address it don't you You don't go in naively so I would be hopeful that it's actually quite an interesting combination of skills that the three of them will be bringing.
0: I agree. I I also wondered if this was a a bit of a nod to the future in a way as well, because, you know, Rob Page Page is not going to be the Wales manager forever. And obviously he got the job because he stepped up from being assistant manager. I would imagine that Eric Ramsey wants to be a first team manager one day. That's the way he wants to go. I wonder if this is also a bit of a nod to that in that we're preparing for the future a little bit, giving this guy some experience so that if we do decide to change direction or Page's contract runs out and we're ready for the next step, rather than kind of conducting an extensive search and all these other things, there's someone there already who knows the system. And I wonder if it's a case of, we are kind of employing the plan that we've used with the younger age groups for Wales in terms of the playing staff, doing the same sort of thing with the coaching staff now where people are plugged into it at a younger age, they're moving through the ranks and moving through the, through the age ranges, if you like, so that when the time comes or if the time comes that the person who can step into the role is the person who's, who's already in around it and knows how things work.
1: Well, you can, I mean, there's obvious pluses to that, isn't there? Just some familiarity and some, um, Connectivity to what's going on. I, I do think kind of club level management slash coaching is changing, isn't it? You, it's becoming much more of a a team of leaders. You know that there, there are very few people that fall into the into the kind of pinnacle leader the way Fergus, Ferguson was, for example. Um, clubs are having a much more sort of holistic approach and I do think there's people for whom being a coach and an exceptionally good coach is the route they want to go down they don't want to be dealing with the media and the PR side of it that uh, that historically a manager has had to deal with and the you know contracts and all of that I do I do think there's a, a slight sort of schism now isn't there between people that have got a sort of director of director of football kind of leaning, more of a business leaning, someone who is a more old-fashioned manager and someone who is very clearly a coach. And I I, I think just a a sort of wider context of football, I do think it's interesting to see how that's developing and how it's going to change over the next, you know, 10, 15 years as well and develop. And and perhaps he's, perhaps Ramsey's sort of at the spearhead of those very good coaches, that they're going to have a slightly different role in football going forward than we've seen historically.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And I also think you, you make a good point there at the start of that, talking about how football is changing now. And football and coaching and management mm-hmm. is not just about winning games anymore. People people care about how your team play and, and people want to see a style of mm-hmm. play. And, and obviously Eric Ten Hag has gone into uh, Manchester United and, and tried to put a new style of play in, which is starting to bear fruit a little bit now. And I wonder if, again, Paige has seen that in uh Ramsey in the sense that he's someone who he does you know he does need to rebuild how we play he does need to identify a style of play for us and I think perhaps he sees Ramsey having done that at Manchester United being able to do that a little bit for Wales as well
1: yeah and like I was saying at the start I don't think you end up as a a mentor on our a license courses unless you've got something about about you you know you, you you look at the quality of our FAW um coaching courses if you've re- if you've reached mentor status for for a license courses on there then there's you've got to have something about you haven't
0: you? oh yeah without question um let's move on to uh, the second person which is nick davis who's joined as head of performance um, he's worked at west ham as a fitness coach amongst other roles um in uh, involving sports science he's also done that at west brom norwich birmingham charlton and athletico Kolkata. Uh, which was my uh, favorite one of the lot. Didn't see that coming, um, but he's got a good and varied <laughs> CV, I'd say. Um, h- how do you how do you think this is going to go? Because again, I sp- w- we can we can have educated guesses, I suppose, about Eric Ramsey. Mm-hmm. But I suppose to an extent with Nick Davis, we're just we're just hoping that because he works for West Ham in the Premier League and he's got a good CV, <laughs> that he's going to be good. I suppose.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. Obviously his his one of his primary roles is to link what the players program is at club level with what it is at international level. And you really you're sort of building on their performance sort of metrics that apply at club level, aren't you? And the and looking at it from like nutrition and psychology and as well as obviously the sort of physical and medical side of things. So I think one of his key Obviously, is that very open dialogue and that very good liaison with clubs and players. So, I, I'm, and I'm I'm hopeful that given he's had experience, at actually quite an interesting range of clubs, hasn't he? In terms of premiership and and downwards as well as some international experience, and that I'm presumably has dealt with a range of players from, you know, homegrown kids that have come all the way through up through a club and. And are very embedded in what the performance parameters are for that club, versus a, a player who's coming in, you know, in their late twenties is very established with what they're doing and has to be integrated into into that club's program. So I think, I think that that's a really interesting role, actually, isn't it? In the the way it, your you're kind of putting the icing on the cake of what the clubs are doing day-to-day in terms of player performance. And really, it's as much a sort of liaison role as it is an actual active role. So it would be very interesting to see how that develops when he's got a full-time job at West Ham. I mean, clearly, every, clearly a lot of these head of performance roles at international football are people that have got full-time jobs elsewhere but I do think it's an interesting one from an outreach point of view and clearly it's, clearly it's a big department there are people within the department that are more able to be going out to the clubs and visiting players and you know and linking with the under-21s and understanding what their progress is and you know what their next steps are and that doesn't fall just on Nick Davies, that falls on the team. so it just Yeah, it's another one where it would just be interesting to see how it progresses.
0: No, I totally agree. Um, I think, as you say, the, the variety of clubs is a big help there. I think that, that level of experience is helpful. And he's going to have a lot of links in the Premier League and abroad with people who will be able to provide him useful information on our players. So I think from that level, I think that's really interesting and, and worthwhile. I guess my one big question here. Ruth and we don't know the answer so classic Coleman had a dream but um <laughs> is I wonder I wonder when contracts were signed and deals were done and how long they've been working for if if they've been working for us or when it was announced is when they've signed the contract sort of thing because obviously we're very close to a campaign starting and it just leads me to question a little bit like what impact will they be able to have because obviously you know will Eric Ramsey for example be able to have time to agree and set up a plan with with Rob Page about how we're going to proceed because obviously we've got two big games that we're, we're, we've got coming up, both competitive fixtures. Um, equally, the same with with Nick Davis. Is he going to have time to, um, you know, be able to measure everyone's metrics and know where everyone is fitness-wise and put individual plans in place for all of these players? Um, given that the time constraints, given you know that what are we? I think give or take two weeks away from from the first game so you know uh, it's quite a tight window i i wonder if they've obviously wheels have been turning beforehand however
1: yeah i think in nick davis's case it's it's a it's taking over from what's there and continuing the programs that and it's, it's quite a sizable department when you look at the different people involved in it within the faw that you know you're you're taking on a, an existing program in that sense so i'm like less concerned about that role actually i i i think there is a reservation about ramsey's role not so in fairness not so much about eric ramsey's input but how far down that road of what's our style going to be has page got like where is he and at which point is he is he bringing in ramsey's coaching experience and, and coaching understanding and what, how is that going to gel together? I, th- I think there's a big question here about the development of the team and um, what Page wants the team to be and what style we're playing. And obviously, you hope that that might be something that would be evolving with his coaches and you know everybody's acting as a sounding board to each other. And so that I think might be more of a hurdle. But I think it's I think it's I think it's a Page question more than a Ramsey question if that makes sense. I think it's where has Paige got to with this evolution and what is what are his expectations of Ramsey and Nil and their input and their involvement.
0: Yeah, exactly. Sort of what has he tasked him with um to kind of get yeah. going. Yeah, um, that's a good
1: way yeah, um,
0: yeah. um overall though, I think they're good appointments. I, yeah. I I don't know about you but I'm pretty happy with them. I think it's um a, a good and we've made a few assumptions here don't get me wrong but I think you know yeah. we're also basing this on the fact that we think they're positive appointments good interesting young uh, coach and a, a well experienced head of performance who kind of knows the backwaters and the, and the big the big teams mm-hmm. as well so a good combination of appointments really
1: yeah no 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 I think all things considered we, we they've ticked a lot of boxes they? and clearly the, you know we've got to see what happens next. But, and I think it's also important from the coaching point of view as well is to see someone that's very integrated. I keep going back to this point, but very integrated in the FAW coaching courses that has taken on that role. I think it's really key for this sort of holistic development that we're very engaged in.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And hopefully the the, the two lads will have an impact as we're moving forward now with the, with the qualification campaign starting. Um, to have a change of tack to yet another bloody retirement. Um Well I, it doesn't
1: feel like a change of tack is it because it is yet another ret-
0: That's true actually. <laughs> that that is in fact all we've talked about for what feels like the last, <laughs> last three podcasts. Um if any of the Wales players uh, are listening can you stop it please? <laughs> It's frankly getting quite upsetting, uh, and uh, I'd like to talk about happier, happier days uh, on on this podcast, mm-hmm. um, not uh, not sad times. Well, I suppose it's not sad times in the sense that uh, that Helen Ward, who has retired from football, well, she'll retire from football at the end of the season, um, but international football mm-hmm. immediately. I say it's sad, and it is sad because she is, uh, I think, a Welsh football, great Welsh football legend. Um, she's won the championship with Reading. She's won the Premier League with Arsenal. She's played in 105 games for Wales, 105 caps, and scored 44 goals, which is absolutely remarkable. Um, she scored on a debut. She scored six goals in a 15-0 win against Azerbaijan. I, I I think she is someone who is will maybe fly under the radar a little bit in this current crop of great players because of someone like Fishlock or Harding or Ingle and people who, were, who played European football and all this stuff. But... She has been a stalwart of that side, um, a fantastic human being, um, and obviously an incredibly talented footballer, a superb finisher, and has come back from a lot of things in her career. Um, she had to pull out of a contract with Yeovil, I think it was, when she was having a second child. Um, you know, injuries, she's never officially been a professional footballer she's always worked um alongside mm-hmm. being in reality a professional footballer and i and i just think it's remarkable and I, before we start talking about her uh, in, in in too much depth i just wanted your initial reaction uh, reaction sorry to the to the news
1: well upset <laughs> i'm tired of saying thank you i'm tired of saying deal <laughs> um but obviously um you know, you know it's going to come with all of the players, and I think I think Helen has perhaps kept going more than I say we could expect. That's not that it's not for us to expect, but you know what I mean. I think I think she has dug deeper than a lot of players to keep being involved with international football, um, and I'm very grateful for that because I I think her path, her kind of um, journey in football is actually really evocative of and very reflective of how women's football has changed over the last 15 maybe 20 years you know you've gone from someone as you say who's not um who's not really been in a position to be in inverted commas professional footballer she's she's kept a normal role but now she has a full-time role at Watford and is you know embedded and part of their structure and is you know in the football team in that sense, in the, you know, the big, the bigger team. And I think you've gone from someone who really sort of had to be persuaded to join Wales, who's, you know, whose connection was a grandparent and yet fell in love with it and has often said it was the best decision she's ever made. And, and now you're at a point where if people are talking about Wales's highest goal scorer you'll get one pundit correcting another when the first one was talking about Gareth Bale and the you know the second is no actually it's Helen Ward and I think that's very indicative of the journey that we've had I think her story is very reflective of the journey that women's football has had in Wales recently.
0: Absolutely and I and I think well, to to look at her just on a on a footballing basis, I think is also doing her a little bit of a disservice because, you know, a bit because of what she's done and the the era, if you like, in which she's done it, she sort of overlapped mm-hmm. two eras when it was professional in the loosest possible sense to the time when now you know players are genuinely genuinely earning a career from football and she's just kind of probably missed out on that to an extent I'm I'm sure financially she she would say the same um but I I also think that it's it's often about more than that I think it's about the path paved isn't it and um Mm -hmm. and I think someone who's been able to continue their career whilst working whilst having two kids um in, yeah. in, 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 in you know, let's be honest, not an easy time and not an easy circumstance. Like she considered retiring completely during COVID. That robbed her of mm-hmm. about a year and a half because of the tiers they allowed to continue training and playing in, in England at the time. I think tier three, they stopped playing and that was just when Watford had been relegated and, you know, a very, very difficult time. And she considered packing it in, but to keep going and committing time away from her family and kids and everything else, all while she's doing a job and been studying. Um, uh, she's got a, a degree, like a journalism, a broadcasting and journalism degree. She's also mm-hmm. been teaching some modules um, in, I think it's it's Cardiff Met, um, which is just remarkable, really, that she can do all of these things. And I and I think that just says so much about her. Um, the last thing mm-hmm. I wanted to say is we've we were fortunate enough to to interview Helen um, a while back, and I, I just I feel like we say this a lot when we speak about some of the the people we've spoken to, but. I just can't praise or thank Helen enough. Praise seems a bit patronizing which is not what I mean actually but like like just demonstrate my gratitude I suppose for someone enough because ultimately Helen gave us her time uh, and you know <laughs> she was she was at home on her own with the two kids who were making noise in the background while she was waiting <laughs> for her husband to come back and deal with them. And she managed to keep them occupied and, and talk to us mm-hmm. for a, for a good while about football. She's, anytime I've messaged her and asked her for right uh, for our Game of Willard magazine, which we haven't done for a mm-hmm. while, she's done it. When we've done special blogs and articles and everything else in relation to the World Cup and the Euros, predictions for how things are going to do she responds Mm -hmm. yes every time and 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 does stuff for us every time and i and i think it would be so easy for someone like her to be like i you know thanks for asking but i've got this and i've got that on i've got the other on yeah um but yet she makes time for us and if she does that for us it's not like you know we're best friends i mean i know we are best friends but um (laughs) i uh, you know i'm sure she does that for other people and and gives up time for for Mm -hmm. other people as well and i think whilst it's important to recognize good players and great players like gareth bale like joe allen like helen ward i think very often it's especially on the women's side you d- there's a bit of the side of this that we don't see um and i think mm-hmm. it's really important when you do get a glimpse into that life and how much effort and and uh sacrifices are made um that that that's reflected and shown because i think that's a um a demonstration of how good a person that is as well as how good a footballer they are
1: yeah I mean I think we're very we're very fortunate aren't we that how open the women's team in particular are with their you know sharing their experiences and being part of the growth of the sport and I think Helen's sort of I mean very um very at the spearhead of of that and, and as, as you say being being a mum and working being a mum and working and being a footballer you know all of those things that you're ju- you're juggling and she's been very open about the the, the sort of trials and tribulations and 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 hurdles of that you know the most ov- the most obvious one was when she was contemplating retirement <clears throat> excuse me during the covid uh during the covid lockdown and I think I think one one of the things that the, the girls in particular are very good at is being um being open and honest about the struggles and the difficulties and, and the steps and the hurdles. And I think that that's as valuable to see as the good times, you know, it's no, it's no good if what we're showing little girls is, is sugar coated. There's, you know, the, I think the realism and, and the journey that's they've been on and the journey that's still ahead is really, is really important. Um, I was looking at the FAW's feed today and very impressed with their, with, their points about um international women's day and just how it mixed the women players and the male players and you know the points that the 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 value of the difficult points tackled in terms of you know sexual harassment and things i think it's it's all just a measure of just what a good bunch of people we've got involved in this and i I think there's a there's a lot to be admired about about how we're developing this and and who we're developing
0: I agree. I, I, it's, I'm glad you mentioned International Women's Day because I, I wanted to raise that as well. In, in, International Women's Day uh, and, and and things like this, where we have a day or a flag, um, mm-hmm. I always find quite kind of tokenistic, and it bothers me because I think it's especially in certain organisations, it's a it's a box tick of we're doing this for one day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's International Women's Day today, so we're going to highlight these 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 people and what they do, and then we'll probably see you talking about this in 364 days. Um, <laughs> and 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 I, and that bothers me. So I, I do have a slight issue with, with National Women uh, uh, the Women's Day thing. Not just not. I don't have a problem with it. God, here I go digging myself a hole. <laughs> um, I I'm glad I'm glad that it happens. I feel like it is not utilised in the way that it should be. I think is a better way to say mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think as a demonstration of that, before we recorded yesterday, I was I was uh, doing some digging and wanting to find out some extra stats about Helen and and the goals she scored and. And, you know, big records and her honors and the things she's won in her career. And her Wikipedia page was hilariously out of date. It um, mm-hmm. didn't include any of the things that she's won on it. And to go along with that, you know, there were, it didn't really track her club career properly. I was just like, well, it's Wikipedia. You know, someone, a volunteer type thing has done that. And, uh, and you know, that's, they, someone's made an effort to keep that relatively up to date, but I'm sure there'll be another page or another article or another something and there wasn't and the way i found the years and the the trophies that helen had won after reading a few articles was a german website uh, soccerway.de um which had her listed under her maiden name rather than um, her her married name which i thought was just bizarre um and i it, i just thought it kind of highlights whilst the women's team are doing well whilst women's football in general is is kind of thriving the, the level in which we have to improve is still vast. And, you know, if you put mm-hmm. in Wales' all-time top goal scorer you'd get a million articles and stats about Gareth Bale when in actual fact yeah. it's the wrong answer. Um, and do, yeah. do, do, do you know what I mean? And, and, I, uh, and I think that it's important that whilst we're talking about these things, it is International Women's Day that we also highlight, you know, that we're not there yet. You know, pe- pe- people mm-hmm. can still do more. I can do more. Everyone can do more. And I think it's important that we keep pushing women's football to the levels where it kind of frankly deserves to be. Um, with all of that said, um, just finally, I think uh, let's uh, let's uh, just close this little section with a with a thank you, I guess, to Helen Ward uh, and and what she's achieved for Wales because I think she's been a great servant for us.
1: Yeah, I, th- I, I can't do anything but echo that. It's uh, it's another another thank you to a great player who has inspired and driven and just. Given the rest of us such joy through her joy in being involved with Welsh football, I'm just very grateful.
0: Absolutely, and I think she's someone who continues, who will continue, sorry, to be a part of this journey and this team and this setup and everything else. And I'm and I'm sure that this is uh, not the last we will hear of. I also think this is a good advert, if that's the right word, for our heritage players, the the, the people who join us through their grandparents or their parents and how important these people are to to Welsh football and the the wider diaspora, um, which is a word we don't use enough on this podcast. But um, I think think it is important and I think that, you know... Helen wasn't born in Wales, but she she feels Welsh. She recognises, if you mm-hmm. like, as being Welsh. And I think when we talk about players who weren't born here but represent us, I think it doesn't take away in any way how much it means to them. And I think you could see from Helen's posts on Instagram uh, and, uh, and on Twitter – that the more you know while she was very emotive especially about her time at Watford that emotion and the use of the word family a lot was uh, was used mm-hmm. in and a lot in her welsh um, retirement thing and I, and I think that's really special I think that that says a lot about how 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 right a lot of the things are at the FA, in the FAW at the moment
1: yeah i mean i think we we'll, we'll, we've got a different diaspora discussion coming up haven't we but i think as as a member of the diaspora I think it's very important that we are welcoming of anyone who feels that they are Welsh or have a Welsh connection. I don't think it matters if you are ticking box X, Y and Z in terms of some sort of weird criteria. I think the important thing is how you feel and how you identify. And that is clearly how Helen feels and how she views her wider family as being the world's football community
0: absolutely um I'm, I'm gonna tell this story ruth and if if you think i haven't if I, you don't think i should when i've when i finished you can tell me to delete <laughs> you can tell me to delete it and i will um but my the final thing i want to say is uh, last year i think it was or two years ago now i was trying to run 2021 miles in 2021 and uh, and Ruth reached out to the FAW uh, and someone within the FAW and, and and some of the other players, Helen Ward included, to see if we could if she could get me something as a as a well done to try and keep me going, like just a little message or a note or something, um, which is very kind of you, Ruth. Um, and Helen replied, and um, eventually thanks to to someone at the FAW and and Ruth and and obviously Helen herself um I got a signed shirt from the whole women's team which which Helen had sorted and organized and um, eternally grateful for that that is on pride of place on the wall in my bar uh in the house where we where I do my recordings and um and I'm very grateful to her for that but again I just think that is a huge sign of the the type of person she is so I wanted to thank her again for that but also um say thank you for all the contributions Helen that you've given to Welsh football you've made a lot of people very very happy and uh and uh thank you for everything you've done for us
1: okay let's move on because i'm i'm getting sniffly here i've <laughs> uh, had enough of these
0: bye-byes <laughs> excellent news um it, you you can tell me afterwards if you think i should, uh, should delete that or not ruth um Okay. No, that's all right. All right. Okay, just checking. I don't want to misrepresent anything or get anyone in trouble uh, if if that was the case. (laughs) Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to um, some upcoming games. Whilst Wales haven't had their squad announced yet, uh, the Croatians have. Um, Luka Modric. Uh, has been picked again i had mistakenly tweeted that he had be he had retired and i was surprised to see him on the squad turns out having done some research in top quality Coleman had a dream fashion he uh he hadn't in fact uh, announced his retirement i had just misunderstood so uh it was almost no surprise in fact that, that luca modric was called <laughs> up to that squad but yeah uh he's the kind of the name that stands out i guess ruth but still a very very strong squad
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I confess I haven't looked at it much as yet, but I think um, I think the fact that they they've just got something about them, haven't they? Such a such a small country, and you look at how successful they've been recently. Yes, a lot of that has hung on a couple of key players, but they have leveraged every little um, every little advantage that they can. They they're very canny, and I think they. It's, uh, a difficult
0: hurdle for us. Oh, massively so. And I think, you know, looking at some of the names in that squad, especially the attacking names, Modric, Kovacic, mm-hmm. um, Pasalicic, I can not I can never say his name properly, Vlasic, Perisic, <laughs> Kramarit, Petkovic, uh, you know, some really, really talented players. And I think they're going to be a real, real test for us. I would say that there's an element that perhaps they are aging a little bit and they are starting their own transition phase, but whilst they still have Obviously, Modric is a. As but a, we've been part saying we've
1: been saying that for a couple of qualifying cycles, Dave, and it doesn't seem to actually have hit them, you know.
0: But I know. But if we keep saying it, we're going to be right eventually, aren't we? Isn't <laughs> you that... mean they're
1: eventually going to be sixty-year-olds? Yeah,
0: exactly. At one point at one point in the five or so, I know how, in a six years of recording this podcast, I will be accurate by chance. Um, so this is the this is the hill I'm willing to die on uh, that they are in transition. <laughs> Um, Yeah, obviously they've got us at home and then they are away to Turkey uh, three days later, I think. Um, So yeah, Mm -hmm. interesting that they've announced it early. Obviously, I think we're announcing ours again this is going to be factually incorrect information tuesday or wednesday next week i think um but obviously we've wait, we're waiting for another weekend's worth of games uh, to happen before we do that yeah. uh, plus obviously the international football this week um yeah uh, obviously we're a little while away as i say we've got the weekend ahead before we announce our squad but t- there's a nice little segue back into our final part of our conversation are there are there three can you give me three names that you want to see in our squad um you know apart from the obvious ones
1: so we're talking about like wild card inclusion. I guess we? so, yeah.
0: I, I would say so.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I mean, we're gonna end up talking about Mullins, so let's let's just shelve that for a minute. Um I I mean in terms of strikers, I I still my argument would still be that I don't think there's evidence that we support a plan that involves out and out strikers. We've kind of danced around Kiefer Moore. We have um, included him in starting eleven. not included I don't think there's a commitment there from us. However, if the plan going forward is we are going to play with a more obvious strike force, then I would like to see the likes of Nathan Broadhead, Liam Cullen, even Aaron Collins from Bristol Rovers, who's having a hell of a season when you look at his stats. Yeah. 15 goals in 34 games plus 11 assists. I mean, I know it's League One, but that hasn't stopped us before. And if someone's good enough for us, they're good enough for us. So I I think from a striker's point of view, I would like to see those th- some combination of those three involved. I just don't think it's likely because I'm not sure we're going that way. Slightly more wildcard inclusions. Given defensive midfield... Seems to be an area that going forward, we've got a little bit of a query over, particularly with Joe retiring. I wonder whether it's an opportunity to bring up a couple of the lads that are notionally in the under-21s, such as Ollie Hammond, who plays um, at Nottingham Forest. He's really only been in Premier League two. He's made the odd sort of cup appearance for, for Forest, And even Charlie Savage, who's... Playing now at Forest, Forest Green Rovers on loan. He's only nineteen. Hammond is only twenty. But I think if we're starting to look at the next kind of cycle of defensive midfielders, maybe it's a time to think about getting them involved as well.
0: Great suggestions. I, Charlie Savage was someone who I was going to mention, so I'm annoyed at you for that. Um, <laughs> I will say, I will say, the midfield area. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think. Jordan James is another one I would add to that list. I know he's not a defensive yeah. midfielder particularly, but I think he's someone yeah, who I needs would, to be around the squad.
1: I would include him, but I was I was assuming he'll be involved, to be honest. Yeah. As opposed to a question mark involvement. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, similarly, Ollie Cooper, I wonder if he'll be around the squad as well. Um mm-hmm. I, I think in our attacking ranks, I think for me, Tom Bradshaw has been on absolute fire recently. Scored again on the weekend. For mm-hmm. me for me he's got to be he's got to be in it. Um I would, and I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure about him. I've, I've slagged him a couple of times, but Kem Campbell playing for Wickham at the minute scored his first goal of his like first professional goal of his career on the weekend uh, up front with Sam Vokes, mm-hmm. interestingly. Um, so I, I wonder if now is the time now he's playing somewhere. Now he might see this as a good time to put himself himself, sorry, in the shop window a little bit more. Now he's out of Wolves uh, and, and he's in around. Mm-hmm. That. I wonder if now might be a good time. Um, I know it'll be controversial and this is a good segue back into what we do want to talk about. I would also call up Paul Mullin. I, I don't think it's a one dimensional decision. I would get I'd also get Luke Harrison um, and because I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a limit really on, on how many we call up in the first instance it's just making sure that we have a 23 yeah. for the match day squad so I wouldn't overload it with people I don't think we need to go crazy because there's people like obviously we've lost Bale and, and Alan now um, Tyler Roberts Matondo those sort of people aren't going to be around it for, for, for a collection of reasons so you know, I, I think there's an opportunity to put people in that. I would also be possibly losing Matt Smith. Um, I don't, I don't really know what he's got, got bringing to the party in 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 regards to the the younger people around him as well. So there's definitely mm-hmm. spaces we can up open up. I think to so this is picking a, a big enough squad, but not overloading it because of who is who is being left out. Um, those are the names I would go for, but uh, I, I think mm-hmm. it, I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting selection. Again, it's too soon, but I I, I can't say his name Biancini or something the boy who's just moved to Man United he's he scored a cracking goal for the Man United uh 21s I think or 18s the other day um in his first start for them so he's he's definitely he's definitely one to watch isn't he Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I think I think he's it's a down the road thing for him but good luck to him it's a big move
0: yeah no I move Cardiff to there yeah. I agree, but yeah, all the best to him and uh, hopefully we'll be seeing him in and around a Wales squad soon um, the, the the conversation has, has come back to Paul Mullin once again and um, I don't want to labour this point um, because we did talk about it last time, the reason I'm bringing it back up again is because the argument hasn't gone away for one, but also because <laughs> uh, Stephen Baker has written a great article about this and why he would like to see Mullin included um, I you know, I think it's clear what our views are on this uh, that we discussed last time. I, I'm certainly in favor of giving him a try. The main reason I'm bringing this back up again is because I was really fascinated by some of the responses that some of the people got. Some people were, you know, I would say um, I rate about it, I think is probably the the the, the truest uh Wait, waited to say it, but um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting. I just thought we could kind of talk through a couple of some of the points that have been that were raised by some of the other people. Um, one of them was that so these these what,
1: are people these are people responding to Stephen's piece that was on our website. Yeah, yes.
0: Sorry, I didn't make that particularly clear. My apologies. Yeah, okay. um, yeah, yeah. No, no. Just so we're, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, the one of the one of the first ones that came out uh, was that he would be taking the place of another young Welsh person? What sort of message does that send out? That was something that Chris Jenkins um, said. Um, uh, What do you think about that? Do you think that's a fair comment or is it not quite as black and white as that? Because I I personally, I don't agree with that.
1: Um, I think it somewhat depends on exactly the point that Chris was trying to make there. I I would rather see young players... Embedded in at this point, um, but this that all hinges on my argument that I don't think we're committed to a striker. So I would rather be using the spaces to embed young players. If we're actually going down the route of a striker, I can see merit in Mullen being, but Mullen being involved. Um, the part of the question where it's a young English, a, a young Welsh player, and somehow that bringing Mullen in is a sort of like he's English in Inbert commas, you know, sort of argument. I, d- I just find that very hard to to understand because I think, um, I think if someone is qualified to play for us, we have to give them consideration. I don't think we can be so choosy that we that there is a qualifying metric and then we somehow impose our own metric because we want someone to be in inverted commas more welsh i just i mean that's naive to my thinking that if someone is qualified you have to consider them because that's the metric that's in place you can argue about whether it's the right metric but that's the metric that's in place i I think the i think these arguments about you know someone who's who a single welsh grandparent therefore you know shouldn't shouldn't be considered then I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me because that's not what we're working to. Like, if you want to impose some sort of if "they've got to be born in Wales" criteria, then we don't have Ethan Ampadu playing for us. Do you know what I mean? I think there's, there's. I just find it a strange argument when those are the rules. So let's we've got to we've got to leverage the rules to our benefit.
0: I think that's it for me, is that I, I, we're, we're trying to make this into a binary decision. If you're in one camp, you can't mm. be in the other camp. That's my problem with it. I, I don't see why we can't pull up, call up a young Welsh player and Paul Mullen. Like, it's not one or the other. Yeah. That's my thing. Chris's argument, to be fair to him and give him credit, um, again, not that I particularly agree necessarily, but to give the counter that his his kind of follow-up was, mm-hmm. if we're going to get in these heritage players, then they should be some people who are... A, a huge improvement fundamentally, or at least an improvement on what yeah. we have. And I guess that is where the difficulty of the argument comes in, because who's to say whether he is um, an, an improvement on, on, on what we have, because the follow-up question from mm-hmm. other people, uh, yuan Rowlands, for example, said he could easily step up. To, uh, the article said it could, he could easily step up to the championship. Um, Ewan's argument was he's barely scored a league one goal. Um, you know, if we're picking a younger player, could we be picking a younger, more technical player? Equally, allied Williams said, I don't believe he'd step into championship sides at all. He's had one unsuccessful season at League One level with Tran- uh, with mm-hmm. Tranmere. None of that suggests he's top-end championship striker. I think the, the level he's playing at argument, I also find a bit difficult because he's very clearly, even if you don't think he's a championship player, he's very clearly a better standard than, than the league he's playing. I don't think anyone... Can argue that. I think whether he can ch- step into a championship side. I think that's where the argument comes. I personally think the way he's playing at the minute, he can. And I think referencing this with, I think four years ago when he was playing for Tranmere, is is not fair, really, because I mean, the Gareth Bale at Southampton, the, the Gareth Bale four years later at Tottenham is obviously a totally different player. And I'm not comparing Paul Mellon and Gareth Bale. Mm-hmm. But I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying that four years at a certain phase of a player's life and career is is really does make a big, big difference. And people can Come to fruition in their in their in lives later or earlier, and can peak and can trough. And Michael Owen at nineteen was compared to the Michael Owen who played for Newcastle United, for example, was utter shit. So, like, it's it's all relative, mm-hmm. isn't it? You're not a good player forever just based on how you've been somewhere once. I personally think he is good enough. I think his movement is excellent, and I think that's the big thing for me that makes me think he can play Championship football. Do I think he would he would be up front every week for Sheffield United or Burnley, who are dominating that division? Of course not. I don't think I don't, you know. I don't think anyone is suggesting that. Um, but the, I would I would say the flip argument to that is Billy Sharp is playing every week for Sheffield United. Is Billy Sharp streets ahead of of Paul Mullen? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure he is. So I I do think you know we've got to be a, a little bit careful with some of those arguments as well.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I agree with you. I think he's in a uh year player i don't think you can that doesn't in itself that doesn't immediately mean oh you can jump up three levels and you'll be fine in the championship but i think but i think when you're evaluating his play you're not evaluating evaluating a typical national league player are you you're evaluating someone who seems higher than that the question is where but i don't think again i'm not sure that's something that's actually part of our thinking per se you know, someone being in a particular league has not been the determinant of whether they're involved with the squad or not. It's, it's about will his play contribute to what we want to do? Will his play contribute to our plan? Um, and I, I keep coming, I'm, I'm going around in a circle here, but I keep coming back to the question that I don't think he's in our plans. I think it's more about the plans than the player.
0: I think that's a fair argument. And I think the level thing is is valid as well, like you just mentioned there. Liam Owen was another one who replied and said, uh, "It's a country our size, like you said, Ruth, has to consider every player that qualifies for them and could be suited to international football. League position is irrelevant if their skill set will enhance the team. That's such a great point. And the point, he, the one he gave is if Kiefer Moore, I would also say uh, Joe Morell is in that. He, he's playing League One football. He is more than capable of playing international football. I know that because I've seen him do it. At a World Cup, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not like he's a, <laughs> he, he's just we, we're just doing him a favor. He's not won a competition. He's good at football, so he plays for Wales. I would also say <laughs> that when Kiefer Moore got picked up and and was put into the Wales setup, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was playing League One football for Barnsley. That thing, that move, that that propelled him to be in play for, be able to play for Wigan, which got him removed move to Cardiff City, and he's now playing Premier League football. All that's happened there is mm-hmm. that someone has highlighted the things that he's capable of doing and it has earned him a move up and up and up and he's justified every time he's got in that position that he should play and be a part of things and I think he's contributing and he's scoring goals. And I would equally say that as, a, as, a, as an alternative to that, just because we pick Mullin in the squad, it, it doesn't mean he plays. And again, in the same way, I was obviously mm-hmm. being flippant about Joe Morel there. We don't need to treat him like a competition winner we don't play him up front every week until he scores a goal so he can be proved right. We bring him in, and as we did with Kiefer Moore, I'll be honest, I didn't think the Kiefer Moore thing would work. Now, he's probably the first name on the team sheet at the minute. You know, you know. as always, I was wrong. So, you know, I, I, I think in this instance it's worth having that look for the same reason because if he's rubbish and he's not suited to the level, we'll know and this conversation goes away. I think... Equally, we're not in a position where we can be turning down players who are scoring a comedy amount of goals. And I say that because Mm -hmm. I I was looking through, I wanted to find fuel for my argument. Um, I I wanted to look through and look at, in the last, let's say, 15 years, how many strikers, or how many players, in fact, for Wales have scored, I would say, a healthy amount of goals for, for Wales. Let's take Gareth Bale as red. Um... If it, moving back down towards that, Craig Bellamy scored 19 goals for Wales um, in a, th- what am I looking at here, 13-year career. This, that's good. Ernie, up until 2011, scored 16 goals. Then we're looking at Hartson, who was played up to 2004, scored 14 goals. Ryan Giggs has scored less goal for Wales than John Hartson. Sam Vokes has got 11 None of these numbers here, regardless of the names, Kiefer Moore, nine, um, no one on this list is is breaking any goal scoring records here in terms of what they're contributing numbers wise. Interestingly, I've just seen that Mark Pembridge has scored the same amount of goals as Simon Davis, which upsets me. But that's by the by. My, <laughs> my, 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 my point being is that we are not blessed, nor have we ever really been with prolific goal scorers. We've got one, two, three, four. We've got five players, six players, sorry, who scored twenty or more goals. And that's mad. So we can't be in a position where we're turning down someone who's scoring that many goals. We just can't. And and I and I think that if you look back over these years, then We we need to give these players opportunity because some people have done really well for us. Some of them have been rubbish. Fred Eastwood was the example I gave the other day. He was scoring goals in the championship when he was called up for Wales. He was useless, and I don't know whether that was because he was a (laughs) knobhead or because he was terrible at football and international football didn't suit him and it was a bad time, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, but he was useless. So the experiment failed, so we binned him off. I would say the same sort of logic applies here. We are in a tricky position in, in terms of an out-and-out striker. I think we need someone who can be a fox-in-the-box type to get us goals. And, as again, it's not a binary decision. Mullen does not mean that Bradshaw doesn't get picked, or Collins, or whoever else you want to bring to the argument. So, uh, for me, I, I just don't think we're in a position, just based on numbers alone... In, in terms of who we can kind of turn down uh, from that. The one more I'm going to ask you, Ruth, and I can't find the person who uh, sent us the message. I'm going to keep trying whilst uh, I ask you the question, um, mm-hmm. which was, if he wasn't playing for Wrexham, would we even know about it? If he was playing up front for Wheelston, um would would anyone kind of care and ask the question? And I, to be fair, I do think that is a valid point.
1: I do think it's a valid point because there's such a hoopla around Wrexham at the minute that are are we more aware of what he's doing because it's Wrexham and the publicity they, they're gaining. Um, but if he was playing for Notts County at, equally at the top of that league and knocking in these number of goals and we knew he was Wales qualified, I'd like to think we would still be having a discussion. I think it is different when it's framed in being a a sort of a Wrexham player with every, all the attention that's on the team at the minute. I do just putting on my kind of Wrexham North Gog hat for a minute. I think the, the question of, well, let's call him up and have a look at him. And it doesn't matter if he just sits in the squad and he doesn't even make the 23 and blah, blah, blah. As a, as someone who is desperate for Wrexham to get that top place, I do think I feel a little bit um torn actually about pulling him away from Wrexham and asking him to miss Wrexham games to sit on the bench for Wales potentially and I and I know this is a somewhat I'm having sort of I'm having trouble with this sea of emotions but as it happens Wrexham don't have midweek games the, the two weeks that are affected by the international window they are just playing on the sat- saturday the 25th which is the same day as we would playing wales playing croatia and they're playing york at home and york at 17th in the table somewhere around there at the minute and so it might be that wrexham think actually we can i would hope we at home against 17th place team we can live without paul for a game but i do think it's an interesting um an interesting question asking a team that are pushing for one automatic promotion place to give up their key striker for him probably not to be involved in the international games.
0: I think so. I I, I would say <clears throat> that's a difficult one. I, I, I would I, I get I get the point and you're right. They only miss one game <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. I, I, for me. I I want all the Welsh teams to well, and people don't believe me when I say that, but I genuinely do. Um, and I want Wrexham to get promoted, but also mm-hmm. this is bigger than that. I I think, and your your point is valid. Um, but for me, I'm a well I'm a Wales fan ahead of you know any of the Welsh teams. So I, for me, I, I I don't think that argument's particularly relevant because he's we either want him to play for Wales or he doesn't, and if it becomes a little bit of an inconvenience, then. Regardless of the reasons, I'm in the Paul Dummett camp in that case, whereby you know, all right, mate, it is what it is. You're not asked, that's fine enough. And I know it's not as black and white as that, but that's that was. No,
1: I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be about him being bothered. I think it's about is it the right question to ask of Wrexham when you know you're probably just taking him to look at him, look at him in training. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it the right thing for the for the for the Welsh camp to be asking of the Wrexham camp? And I do think that's an it's an interesting, just sort of, P.S. to this particular discussion is what it means for Wrexham.
0: No, I think you're right, and I like I say, I do take the argument. I I also just think this is bigger than that for me, and and I would say that the possibility of what it means for Wrexham in one game is, you know, is not particularly huge, and I would also say take the argument that the further publicity it would get Wrexham and the and the people involved in that I think would be worth his weight in gold regardless so uh, for me I, I don't take that argument I do think the Wilson argument is a little bit unfair but also valid I've just found that it's from Rob Hill so I don't know if you listen Rob but thank you for that I, I do think it's a good point and interesting question I think for me this comes down to do we think the boy is good enough to do something for Wales and for me I think he is and I think as a consequence he's worth looking at you're right Ruth he probably won't make the 23 From a Wrexham perspective, that's probably not a good thing. But I would also say that you know that what he can gain experience-wise from being around players of, of the calibre of Aaron Ramsey and all that other stuff will improve him. So you could even make the argument that going back to Wrexham, he could longer term become a better player from playing around these other, uh, other people as well. So I do think there is a relative upside uh, f- to that for Wrexham. Although, as I say, I, I don't think that's the point in this instance. But overall, I think for me, just to conclude... I think it's worth having a look at him. I think it's worth assessing him. There's no shame in that. There's no nothing wrong with having a look at him and deciding look sorry mate appreciate it. Uh but but it's a no equally uh, you know to, to consider the Wrexham argument could we do it later in the season? Um, you know, would that not be more of a, a bad time for Exum? Uh, also, possibly as well. So, there's lots of ifs and buts to go along with that. So, it, it is not, as I say, it's not a binary decision. But just, just as to conclude this with you, Ruth, um, would you be calling him up or not?
1: I've I've got the dilemma with this because we've we've slipped to 28th in the rankings. We've got to do something before that becomes an even slipperier slope. Um. I just, I have my doubts about the plan. I want to see the plan. I want to know where we're heading. And then then whether Mullen or any striker is involved will kind of become self-evident from the plan. Um, So, and I know I've made this point before, but I keep coming back to that. I don't think he'll be involved because I don't think it's where we're heading. If we are going down the road of a more, Obvious. I don't know someone to play off more, or you know, a a a slightly different kind of arrangement, more more of a four four two style kind of thing going on. Then yes, I would call him up because I think at this at this moment we need goals. We need to make sure that we're going to be at least second in this qualifying group and that we make Germany next summer. We that needs to happen, and so I think there's a needs must at the minute which which may mean that he's perhaps just involved for 18 months at most but i don't know dave i'm really torn because i i i can see i can see how if there's a plan that would utilize him or utilize his style of play then he may be a very good peg for that hole at the minute but i my question is a bigger are we is that the road we we're, we're, we're walking
0: well, there you are. This is the Corbin had a dream sitting on a fence uh, podcast <laughs> episode. Um.
1: I, I, my, if, you, if you're asking me, I would call him up because I think we're at a point where we have to look at things because of what's happening with our ranking. But I would I would be more comfortable if we are looking at players within our known plan and players that are going to bring something to that bigger picture. And I, I I'm just concerned that we haven't got the bigger picture yet.
0: No, that's fair. And I think that's a, that's a very good summary and, uh, and conclusion. Um, I think, Ruth, it's safe to say we've done this to death. We will not be talking about Paul Mullin <laughs> again uh, until... Unless he
1: gets called up and then we yeah, might be talking exactly, about him
0: uh, Yeah, exactly, that's true. Yeah, we won't be talking about Paul Mullin again until, until he scores the winner against Croatia uh, out <laughs> in split in two weeks. Um, well, there you are, ladies and gents. Uh, thank you very much uh, for listening. Thank you very much, uh, Ruth, for your time.
1: That no, was good. Good to catch up, and uh, it's it's starting to feel very real again now, isn't it? Those games are just just a couple of weeks away. The squad yeah, exactly. will be out next week. It's all we're all back looking at uh, looking at international football properly again. It's great.
0: Absolutely, cannot wait. And we've obviously got uh, we'll have some build up for you once the squad <laughs> comes out and like previews of the matches. Um, we're going to be obviously looking ahead to that Croatia game and the home game against Latvia as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your time. And we'll be back with you very, very soon. Goodbye.
1: Bye-bye.